we've spent the last several months preparing for this gathering, and we've designed it to be in service of UNESCO's designation of Bendigo as a creative city and region of gastronomy. At the heart of the designation is an acknowledgement of Jara country, of Jajawaran culture as the local expression of the oldest culture on our planet, the oldest living culture. A culture that has been silenced and marginalized but still lives on and still offers deep practical insights into how we can live together on country in abundance. So if your ancestors were here today with the state of the country that it is, how would they eat off country? That's a good question. I often think when I get a tricky question, what would my ancestors do with their wisdom, accumulated wisdom of multiple generations? Well, they would eat country healthy, eat the abundance. That's what we did. We didn't take when there wasn't enough and when there was booms. We would even invite others in to share. So if we look at Jara country, there's lots of rabbits everywhere. Ooh. So I guess we would eat rabbits. Pest control on a plate. Exactly. So that, gathered friends, is a rough reconstruction of the conversations that we had a team that led us to prepare for you for this second offering of edible welcome to country, rabbit and weeds. With a serving of weeds. Enjoy. And we said, how are we going to get them to eat rabbit and weeds? We could make it fancy. Yeah. Welcome to Saltgrass. That was performer Will Tate and Jara woman Rebecca Phillips talking to the audience at an event that ran last year called Jackich La. I went to that event with my sound recorder and I have to say it was a beautiful and profound experience. It involved performance, discussion and amazing food. I got lots of audio from that day and then a few weeks later I spent an hour and a half with six of the creators talking about everything that went into making it. So today in this episode I'll be sharing audio from the live event such as you just heard and I'll be weaving that through the interview I did with the creators. I gathered so much audio that I'm going to have to share this with you over two episodes. The themes that emerge across all of this content are everything that Saltgrass is also focused on. Localisation, community building, sustainability, food security, caring for country, listening to Indigenous voices. The creative team involved more people than were able to join me in discussion about the event. But today in the interview, you'll hear from Jody Newcomb, who was executive producer and director and founder of Carbon Arts. Sam Thomas, who was in creative development and sound design. He was also the stage manager for The Animate Objects. Will Tate, who you just heard, was co-producer, performer and MC for the day. Rebecca Phillips was in creative development. She was a performer, as you just heard, and the advisor on Jara knowledge. Charlie Ahrens was in creative development and she was the stage manager for Inanimate Objects. And Anna Knight is from the city of Bendigo and she was instrumental in the application process for the designation of the UNESCO Creative City of Gastronomy that Bendigo was given. And we're going to start with her because I think it's important to understand the context of what exactly a creative city of gastronomy is. The event took place 
at a winery just outside of Harcourt, which is a lovely small town just 10 minutes from Castlemaine. And Harcourt is surrounded by orchards and wineries and beautiful places and just at the foot of Lianganook or Mount Alexander. We gathered on a clear sunny day and were welcomed to country by Rebecca's smoking ceremony. We were given name tags that also had a jar of season attached to it and we were encouraged to mingle and find out about the other seasons that were described on other people's name tags. Then we had a performance and Will and Beck led us through various stages of a performance which also involved little servings of food being given to us that were reflected in the performance as you'll hear about all of this as we go through the interview but I just thought I'd give you the context of the full event and then after the performance we had several opportunities to get together in discussion groups around topics and themes that were supplied to us and that we also were able to nominate and it was a really amazing opportunity for lots of different people in our community to get together and talk about aspects of food production, land management, creativity, all sorts of things. And the whole event actually took about five or six hours and it didn't feel like that. It kind of flew by, but it was a whole afternoon. Another thing that happened was that we were invited to put our intentions for how we would perhaps care for country differently in our lives and in our practices and give that intention to a stone, which at the very end of the day, those stones were taken to a creek bed just down the hill and placed there so that those intentions could actually be given to country. So we'll get to all of that (laughs) in just a minute. But as ever, before we begin, I want to acknowledge that all parts of this episode were recorded on Jara country. Jara is the unceded lands of the Jajawarang, who have been the custodians and caretakers of this land for tens of thousands of years. Always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Salt. Salt of the earth people. Grassroots change. Salt grass. Listen to all episodes of Saltgrass on your podcast app or at saltgrasspodcast.com. So let's start with what being designated as a creative city of gastronomy means. This is Anna Knight from the city of Bendigo. So it came out of Bendigo's creative industries strategy. While we were developing that strategy, we became aware of how many um, great smaller cities around the world were involved in the UNESCO Creative Cities Network. That's a network of, of cities that are putting creativity at the heart of their plans for sustainable development. So the UNESCO Creative Cities recognises seven different categories of creativity, which is a very creative way of doing it. They've got crafts and folk art, uh, literature music, design, media arts and gastronomy. So in looking at those different categories and thinking about Bendigo and the region, it became clear that gastronomy was the the strongest lens for us to look at our own creativity because there was so much going on both in Bendigo and the surrounding area in terms of sustainable agriculture and sort of small-scale artisanal food and we also felt that the story of our First Nations community was was really strong and had a real focus on you know healing the country and and food and all of those sorts of elements so we thought that was a a great story to tell to our community but also tell to an international 
audience. Um, so we began engaging with people across the region to find out if that sort of resonated with people. And although we came up against a little bit of pushback and confusion about, you know, what does gastronomy mean? And, you know, we don't have that many great restaurants in Bendigo. So why would we be a, a gastronomy city? Overall, once we sort of started telling the story about what was happening across our region, people started to, to understand and got behind the application. How did you describe the region in your application? What sort of things did you highlight? Well, there were a few different things. We, we worked with the Jajawarung Clans Aboriginal Corporation with Rodney Carter and part of doing that was deciding on the region that we would refer to. So it's a city that's designated but in terms of gastronomy you have to talk to the land that surrounds your city because that's generally where the, the food is grown and the, the beverages are made. So as opposed to some of the other designations where it's very much about what happens in the, the urban centre of the city in terms of creativity. The region that we talked of was based on the lands of the Jajawarung, with some other parts brought in as well around the river catchments. So we talked about... That's a very big region. This is a big it's region. Quite yeah, large. it goes all the way up to sort of Bullock and Ganawara LGAs and down to Hepburn and Macedon. So we talked about the area and we talked about the story of the indigenous culture of this land and how there was a sustainable food system for tens of thousands of years before colonisation. So that was a, a big part of our narrative. And then we also talked about how there was a, a growing interest in sustainable agriculture, but also small scale artisanal food production. We saw that there were over 400 small artisanal businesses around the region and we thought that was a really special thing that we, we grew and made so many different sorts of food and beverage products in our region. We grow almost everything from grain and fruit to to having different sorts of meat and dairy products as well. So we talked about that diversity. Then we also just talked about our creative story and Bendigo sees itself as quite a creative city and obviously there's some very creative communities around Bendigo as well. And then the other factor was talking about health and well-being. There's quite a big issue in Bendigo and surrounds in terms of poor health linked to poor nutrition and poor foods. Although that's a negative, we talked about how much work is going into changing that story for our region and there's a real interest in in healthy food and supporting people to make healthy choices. Yeah that's really interesting because I think as you said earlier the word gastronomy can feel a bit exclusive and like it's the upper class talking about food in their very privileged way but what you're actually saying is that you consciously talked about the full spectrum of our society that was engaging. yeah that was yeah. the idea and it was yeah it's it's an ongoing challenge to express that because it is it's a complicated narrative it's a it's a big story to grasp and people tend to think of yeah sort of elite fine dining when they think of gastronomy so yeah changing that story is is one of our biggest challenges but I think lots of people are, are getting to grips with that yeah great mm. let's talk about this event that happened how did you find out about these guys and what made you want to engage them my colleague who's a creative industries officer who works on um, implementing the creative strategy in bendigo alerted me to the of this earth i don't know project so i looked at that and thought wow this is exactly what we've been talking about and parts of this group are local and that's perfect we need to talk to them about about communicating some of the ideas we've been trying to get across and yeah so we just got in touch with Jody and Sam I think and and started the conversation there 
And in the context of all of the other activities you're doing to promote and make public and sort of educate people and bring them in to what this gastronomy designation means, how does this project fit into the bigger picture of all the other things you're doing? Well, this is a yeah one of the most important things that we wanted to do, particularly after 2020 and everyone being quite separate and it being quite difficult to communicate ideas and get people together, I guess. We were all struggling in our different ways during that time. So, you know, plenty of people had heard about our UNESCO designation, but lots of people didn't really know what it meant. I got the sense that there was a lot of misunderstanding and a bit of frustration about, well, what is this? What does it mean to me? And it's stupid and some council thing. So I'd always felt that it was really important to get together a whole lot of people to talk about it, to meet each other, to see what a diverse group of people were involved and what um, complex and interesting ideas it was trying to bring together. So I thought it was kind of the most important thing that I could do was to get people physically in the same space to understand the bigger story, that it wasn't about fine dining, that it was much more about our culture and our creativity and the First Nations story and our smaller producers and sustainability and climate change and creative industries as well. So that was kind of my top priority. Yeah, great. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk to some of these creators. You mentioned the previous project of this earth. So would one of you guys like to describe what that project was and maybe the context of the evolution of what's led up to this? Yeah, sure. So I started Carbon Arts in 2011 and the very first project we did was actually a food-related project and it was with an international artist called Natalie Jermajenko and that that started a whole suite of projects under the banner of the Cross Species Supper Club. So Natalie had been running a supper club in New York that was quite conceptual but it was all about sustainability using molecular gastronomy and lots of fun plays on words and so we, we ran that project with her for some time and I was very inspired by Natalie. She's an amazing thinker and I suppose to summarize that work it was how do we eat to support biodiversity sort of flipping the narrative of how do I do less harm it's how do I actually do good through the choices I make in in the way that I eat and so from that I wanted to create an Australian based project and it was really important that that incorporate the indigenous Australian knowledge of food and and country as well so we started the Australian Future Foods Lab with a with a cohort of people which included Charlie and Will and Stephen Patton at the time and a few others and Gregory Crocetti and Bryony Barr who are scale free network who work at the sort of microscopic level doing amazing work on soils and un- helping particularly young people understand and, and be enchanted by the microscopic world. They were involved in the work with Natalie and they came on board. And we, the first project we did was with an artist called Janet Lawrence. And it was at the McClelland Sculpture Park and Gallery in uh, Cranbourne. And we had a quite elaborate dining experience just based on native botanicals. And we had a tour of the Australian gardens that Charlie ran at the outset of that event. And then a four-course meal with Douglas McMaster, who's now gone on to great fame in the UK. But he, he created the No Waste dinner and he had the Silo restaurant, which was a No Waste restaurant by, by Yoast in Melbourne at the time. So That's had- true gastronomy. That's like high-end. It was quite high-end. But, but the work that we did around the, the plants and the other, I suppose, aspects of that event were, were very accessible. And there was also a, a few other. We had the Elixir Bar in Melbourne as well. I suppose at that time, 
I had started my PhD and I got a call from someone at the Climart Festival, the Art and Climate Change Festival, have been going every couple of years for, for a little while now. And they rang me up and said, the city of Casey really interested in doing a project with you. They're running a mini festival for the Climart Festival and they want to do something related to food. It was just an offer we couldn't refuse. They basically wanted to give us carte blanche to do whatever we wanted in this incredible venue with seven different venues within the venue. So a studio, a theatre, a conference centre, a library, a gallery, and we took it over all of it. And I might pass now to Will to tell us a bit about what that event was because Will really led the event with such a wonderful concept and storytelling. Thank you, Jody. Yeah, I mean, what an incredible opportunity it was. And we jumped at it and we decided we could take 100 people through this experience. We went from the building blocks of life, the, the carbon, the hydrogen, the nitrogen, the oxygen, and that moment when it sparks into something that we now call biological life. And the themes that we built around that, that really the complexity of life that we enjoy as embodied beings and enjoy in the food that we eat and in the world that we live in has so much to do with collaboration. You know, the organs in our body used to be separate living things that came together to enable the complexity of a human being or any of these other creatures. And as that narrative built, we started to seed into it the idea that we're living in a country that had an understanding of how to really live in harmony with that land and, and sort of posed the question of the idea that the governance that we might need to return to that is actually also revealed in what is now surfacing through re revisiting of the early sort of accounts of how the land was managed we can actually look or look into indigenous culture in Australia and not just find ways of relating to the land, but actually how to be in governance with each other that could help us with this. And we took the audience on all these adventures throughout the venue. You know, at certain points in the performance, we gave the audience an experience of being factory farmed with Charlie and Jody dressed up in strangely precognizant covid style outfits <laughs> you know the masks and you know shunting people around and we just found as many different ways as we could of, of telling the story but the one thing that was missing from that project was the timeline that that we had to jump on didn't give us an opportunity although we tried to bring on a core collaborator who was indigenous and so we came out at the end of the project realizing that that for all the great learning that we'd done and learning that we'd created for the people that passed through it, that absence was something that we couldn't allow to exist in our work going forward. And so when it came to responding to this invitation, we'd made a decision as, as a group to only step forward into our next project if we could have an Indigenous core collaborator from the land that we were working on. So we'd, we'd been thinking about how to take of this earth forward because there was such an incredible response and people loved it so much and wanted us to do it again. And there were lots of growers from the Gippsland area who were there. So it was a similar diverse audience of 100 who gave us great feedback and wanted more conversation, wanted to, you know, spend more time together in, in that same 
framework. And so Will and I spent quite a lot of time just ruminating on that and bringing in Sam from where I live in Castlemaine because working in City of Casey felt a little bit disconnected and in a way I've sort of gone from working with a New York-based artist traveling in Australia and we did the Australian cross-species adventure safari around Sydney and rural Victoria and and just kind of being the roadshow and then thinking, no, no, it has to be Australian, so making it the Australian Future Foods Lab and then moving to Castlemaine and doing my PhD and realising, no, it has to be about where I am. It has to be really grounded about the place that I love and live in and met Sam, who's an incredible creative producer locally and very aligned in the way we, we do art and Alex Perry. So Alex Perry was the chef on the, of this Earth project. We actually used Bruce Pascoe's flower that he's growing in Malakuda because I'd met him at the Castle Main State Festival when he spoke. So we were sort of drawing these threads together that came from a local context and we approached the Bendigo venue and event saying we'd like to use the Alumbra Theatre and literally the day we sent the email to them saying, okay, here's the proposal. We got an email from you saying we'd like to work with you. And it was like, wow, this really wanted to happen. (laughs) And we still hope to go to the Alumbra because uh, there's something about that massive theatrical experience that we did that was really, really fun. All right. Well, should we talk about who you then drew in, in terms of both Sam and Beck and what roles they've played? Do you want to start, Sam? So I'm really interested in kind of folky approach to contemporary ceremony in a way and I've worked with Rebecca Phillips on a a few events the last being one called Encounter up at the Poppet Head where we looked at our shared love of electronic music as a meeting point really to create this outdoor free public event which actually involved a whole community dance participatory dance project that Chunky Move brought to Bendigo but what Rebecca brings to this kind of gathering is a feeling of common ground and being able to speak without suspending tradition in a faraway place not in time or, or geographical sense it's about what's happening right here and right now and that's really the the resonance I think that breaks down the barriers and, and means that people don't carry guilt or they don't feel uncomfortable about the the meeting points for these two very different worldviews. You know, like the, the colonial way of thinking. We're also suffering from that as European people. And Will and Jody and I really, and Charlie, dug into the roots of. European indigenous culture too because we were colonized too you know Scottish and Irish people all of this stuff that happens to Australia and more recently colonized countries was tried out in the British Isles first that's how they knew that they could control people in this way and I was very lucky that my parents really my whole childhood I was taken around lots and lots of strange pagan customs that my dad is fascinated by and a, and a huge part of right from Cornwall up through to the to the Highlands of Scotland from Peliar and Shetland right down to the Padstow May Day celebrations these things are still part of the fabric of the British Isles and they're pre-Christian they're pre political they are about actually celebrating the turning of the seasons and and the natural world and usually they're about food they're actually about harvest time or a working time in the fields together um, and then this release this sort of carnival sense of celebration that we've got stuff to eat for the next few months and covid is doing many things to us 
But what it is, is making us think about where our food comes from and what effect that's having on our systems as human beings. So, Beck, do you want to talk on from there? Well, firstly, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional country that we meet on, our ancestral country, the Jajaburong people, Matinga Kulimurup, and just be really grateful for being able to tell stories on this country recognizing that you know we're all connected to this country to all Bunjil's creations and to each other and this is a bigger part of caring for country it's not just about land and water it's acknowledging that we are all a part of country and we all need to work together look after each other and build that deeper connection so that you feel that responsibility to look after this place that nourishes you and to give something back. And I think that was one of the biggest messages and one of the most important for me personally in this event was really talking about acknowledging in the foref- having in the forefront of our minds that country nourishes us all the time. And we take that for granted all the time in everything, in every breath we take. And what do we give back? What do we give back that is good, that helps country be well? And so I really wanted to bring about this concept of wukjara, this cultural exchange, this energy exchange, whatever it is, is give, receive. And in the same way, it's the cycles of the land and the seasons. So, you know, those things can easily fall to the back of your mind and I think it was really important to bring it forward, especially now that we're celebrating the gastronomy. You know, when I first was invited to be a part of this, I did not know what gastronomy was. And my mind obviously first went to something to do with your bowels, but... Um, <laughs> gastro. So like, it's when you get gastro, what? it's like when it's bad, I was like, right? what is this? What do you want me to do? Um, and so I had to look up the word. I'm not big on the news or, or anything so it came about through word of mouth that Bendigo was now city of gastronomy and so yeah I did a google search and I was like oh okay well this is a my kind of thing and Sam had alerted me to this and said oh you should come come to the meeting and, and see if it's something you want to do I know you're really busy which yeah kind of worked out I came to the meeting and just met all these lovely people with the same values and the common goal and the the means in which to work together in, in such a great collaborative way that was really supportive of Jara views and I felt very supported throughout the whole creation and production of this event to be able to tell what story I felt comfortable sharing, what things I felt needed to come out in community. And uh, I learned a lot from them along the way as well. So let's explore a little bit what the process of creation was as a team. What did you start with as your core idea and what did you end up with? How did you get there? So the European fable stone soup, it's a wonderful metaphor. A stranger walks into a village ravaged by famine. The villagers are hoarding what little food they have left. The stranger, also starving, places their pot 
in the middle of the village, fills it up with water, pulls out a stone, plops it in and calls out, I'm making stone soup. It's going to be delicious. It's going to feed everyone. As the curiosity draws them to the pot, the visitors are invited to contribute what little ingredients they might have just to add a little flavor to the soup. One by one, they bring out their precious hoarded supplies and pop them in the pot. The soup that is created not only feeds the whole village, but generates a, uh, a whole new ethos of trust and sharing in the village. The one ingredient that remains uneaten is the stone. And when we shared this fable with Beck, she loved it. We said to her, what would you do with this fable, this metaphor, the essence of it? Can you find an expression for it in Jajawarong way? Yeah, so when I heard this story, it took me to the concepts of stones or, or how we view stones differently. It gave me an opportunity to bring in the Jara perspective of how we see that part of country, stone country, and stone implements that were used. So stone in Jajawurung is la, and la comes with two different notions or references. So one being the stones that you find in country, but also as a reference of your grinding stone. So where you would grind the seasonal grains to make your, your bread. Grains are seasonal and so you wouldn't need to carry around a big grinding dish all year round. And so when you say la, it also refers to a camp, like a semi-permanent camp, because that's where you would leave your grinding dish. You're not going to carry around a big heavy stone. So with this event, we're talking about bringing food and people together in a particular place, which is like a camp. And so for me, the, the two kind of stories really tied together well in the stone of the soup being that central point where, where people would come and gather and share food. And also the la, which is our tool for making bread and a symbol of our campsite. So jukic meaning food, stone food was as close as we'd get to stone soup, but we just saw how well the, the stories tied together and and the name seemed really fitting. Well, it's also stones being really quite a permanent thing in country. They don't move very much that I've seen unless yeah. something is moving them. And so, you know, with stones is a solid foundation and a permanency. And for me, that also carries the, the foundation of the meaning behind us working together to create better food systems that are good for country and good for people here. It's quite interesting, that idea of place, because the idea of gastronomy, when you looked up your definitions, Beck, you would have seen there's a few different definitions of gastronomy, but it's often how a place expresses its culture through its food. And a lot of the other UNESCO creative cities of gastronomy, they are sort of cities of gastronomy because of their one famous dish that comes from that region or their, their one famous ingredient, like a truffle or a certain type of cheese or whatever it is. And we didn't really have that in Bendigo and the region, 
yet perhaps we will soon there wasn't sort of something that sprang to everyone's mind as our as how we express our our place through food so I think part of what you brought um, back and what the event brought was tying people to the place and our gastronomy being about the place where we live the country that we live on and I think that's a really important step in us developing our own gastronomy which comes from this place specifically it's part of a broader idea I guess in Australia about what is our food culture in Australia that isn't just sort of borrowed bits of other food cultures and maybe it is an amalgamation but helping people to feel connected to the country and and the gastronomy of this place I think was a really important part of the event as well. Can I just bring Charlie in at this point because it was Charlie that brought stone soup and I've heard that story since I was a child and I went, yes, that's it. That's brilliant. And then we flew with that and then it's actually been the, the seed and the core of this so far. Yeah, I find my role is in listening and digesting a lot. So I like to listen to the stories and let them filter through and pick up on the the symbols and the nuances and the relationships between concepts till something forms in a solid <laughs> idea that then I can bring to the group and offer to the community that we can then all build upon and so I think that's also the other part of the stone soup for me and and actually the inspiration for me came from Beck describing the plate so we started with this concept of well what's on our plate and here in Jara country it was beautifully realized in the performance of Jakajla describing all the food that is available here in Jajawarong country and actually how much of it is is accessible to First Nations people because of agriculture, because of land ownership. And it was just really a powerful image for me. So these two things going on for me, what's on our plate and, and the idea of how can we all contribute in a healthy way and in, and in a collaborative way to that plate. It just reminds me of a great quote that my dad quite often opens his storytelling performances with which is that if speaking was more important than listening we'd have been born with two tongues and one ear there's been a lot of great listening going on and I think during the event the audience feedback that we've been getting was how profound the experience was because it felt like there was some deep listening going on the first thing we do when people are arriving was a smoking ceremony for people to walk through and start the the journey on the right foot and help people ground themselves to that place and meeting all the wonderful people that were invited. So that's just part of protocol, I guess. There were lots of little protocols we had to follow and and get right in order to really hold the the cultural integrity of this event. So when people walked in, they were given a little name tag with a season on it. I thought that was a beautiful thing and and people were invited to talk to each other and explore what different seasons there were and make notes and basically learn what the Indigenous seasons are for this region. So in structuring any event, the biggest hurdle is how do you get people to show up and open up to what is being offered? So that arrival moment is really critical in terms of inviting people to play with the idea and with each other. And so I really enjoy making work that has an accessible structure or format. And often that's by creating something that's familiar enough, 
but is a little bit different. So you have to think about it slightly differently, but it's not too far out of your comfort zone that you're not feeling like a fish out of water. And so the seasons was a really great touchstone because we're all familiar with seasons, but we're not all familiar with Indigenous seasons. And so it was a great way to start just threading in the different lens through which to appreciate the land that we were on and the concepts that we were about to delve into further. And so that was part of it. But also I was very interested in the cross-sectoral audience because from the earliest projects I was like, how do we get more people outside of the arts community or outside of people who already know about this stuff? How do we talk to the farmers? How do we talk to the producers so that they can become more inspired by regenerative agriculture and native food plants? And and so I was wondering, how can I get this range of people to start talking to each other rather than just going, oh, I'm an artist and I know these people over here, so I'm going to feel comfortable and go and talk to those people over there. So we colour-coded the name badges, which were lanyards with strips of fabric and each industry, there were six different industry groupings and each grouping or sector was a different colour. And we related that to one of the seasons because there are also six Indigenous seasons and they were colour-coded. And in the game, they had to find the names of all of the seasons that they weren't. So they, they had one season, one colour on their lanyard, and they had to find out the names of the other five. So they had to go and talk to people from all of the other five groups. So it was just a really easy format for getting people to talk to each other outside of their more familiar. Have a pencil if you need something to write with. Well, Tell me about your season. My name tag says I need to find the names of all the seasons by exchanging information with other guests. January to March, April to May, so what are June to July. What am I? What are you? I'm January to March. Millicook. Baramal. It's the time of lightning. Emu's pear, nest and lay eggs. Gee, that's, that's a lot to do in two months. You know, no hunting allowed. Um, I like that. The Wapara um, breeding, the eagles, kangaroo apple fruits. Ooh. I've never worked out how to cook that, but you can. Kangaroo apple fruits? Hmm. And um, it's dry and gusty. There you go. I think January to March is when you get your bushfires. Dry and gusty and lightning is exactly what happens in bushfires. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. Yeah. I'm just I'm still trying to get over the emus pairing, nesting and laying eggs in two months. That's They're quick movers. Flat out. Yeah. <laughs> Tinder. I can't damned. even respond to a phone call in two months. <laughs> yeah. No. What have, what have you got then? I am Boyne Lawan, October. So Lawan is How do you spell it? B O Y N. L-A-W-A-N mm-hmm. So the mallyfowl make nests and lay their eggs mm-hmm. You do some seed collection mm-hmm. So I guess it's spring, October Boyne yeah. is the grasses are growing Sounds the, like um, This is when you need to mow a yeah. lot It's when you need to mow a lot <laughs> Karawong are about and they're singing And the flax lilies are flowering Ah, great Yeah, I like that Currawong always around. I love how Currawong's wings kind of go 
out and in rather than flapping <laughs> up and down because they're forest birds. So they oh, so they don't they know how to banging get between trees. trees. Going, ow, 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 ow. <laughs> yeah, so the Jajawurong seasonal calendar, we call it Nyanyi Jai Wurka, which means listening to country talking. And really that's what will be the evolving factor of this seasonal calendar. So while we have, you know, April to May is we nyari and, you know, right now it's Dadam Dadam Waikok, June to July. It's not really always going to line up with the months of the time frame we use on a yearly basis now. It'll it'll follow those seasonal patterns. And so when we did the event it was Winyari and we'd just finished doing some Jandakwi, some cultural burning. And in fact we just did our first Jarrah women's cultural burn on one of our sites, which is a big thing for us. So that was really nice preparation for me going into this event. And so sharing the story of the six seasons of Jara country really had to come with permission from the Jaja Wurrung clan's Aboriginal corporation and the members as we're still working on building that seasonal calendar back to its full, well, to its to its whole, I guess, to the whole of country. You know, we're all working in nine to five jobs and raising kids and living in four walls and a roof and driving around in cars these days and the real lot of that information comes from sitting with country and and walking around country and being in all the different types of environments that are Jara country in order to fill that seasonal calendar and so it will be evolving too with you know foreign and pest plant and animals that are here and having different interactions with country and the climate changing and so it's a it's an ongoing body of work that all of our mob are doing together. And in order to share that with people, we have to be considerate that it is a work in progress and that Jara people have that cultural and intellectual property. It's not just biological, phenological and, you know, just environmental knowledge. It comes with a lot of those cultural stories and the the signs that we see and the calendar is laid out in the constellation of the Burangi, the night sky. And so it's being able to have that Jara lens and interpret all of that as part of country. So it's a whole big thing. And then trying to bring it to this event in a form that also protected the cultural and intellectual property rights of all of our people, it could only be brought in in a very kind of surface level format but that's still a good place for the conversation to be had that there is a way of looking at country that unravels a whole lot more detail of interconnectedness that we should all pay attention to and learn how that relates to us and how we eat food off country and how we can eat with country. Yeah, so we, we managed to share kind of the bare bones of that and that, that was a good start. Okay, so once everyone had had a chance to mingle for a while and chat and talk about seasons, everyone was asked to come together around a stage which was made of sand. We were outdoors and the audience sat in a ring around this performance area and Will and Rebecca then performed several pieces and 
at several points in this performance, little tasters passed around, so little portions of food that had been made. And they were all kind of fascinating and unusual, and they were kind of an adventure on a plate. I'm just going to now share a few snippets from the performances. That will be it for today's episode. And next week we'll hear more from the performances, which went for over an hour, and we'll hear more from the creators and everyone involved, also from the audience, and we'll get some a sense of how they experienced it and what it was like for them. But that's all next week. For the moment, this is the first part of the performances with Beck telling the creation story of Jara Country. This is the story of food on Jara country. And while I'm standing here as a Jara woman, I don't speak for all Jara people. So what I'll be sharing with you is a story, my remembering, my interpretation of Jara country. Malamia Jara, long ago on country, the ancestral spirits walked this land with Bunjil. Now Papja, a living mother country, was brought to life with the breath of Bunjil. <sighs> These beings left their mark, left their footprint, left a song and ceremony. All of these places had a name, a song. Doing the ceremonies was what we learnt next from Bunjil, knowing to only take what we need to ensure that there is still more for when we come back. Collecting honey, These trees, these trees are central to our identity. There are elders. Women gave birth in the trees, bringing in the new generation. Nurturing them and teaching the ways, the ways of country, because country is not just all that you can see. There's things on many layers, many dimensions, the things that are unseen. Because all of country has spirit, has muruk. And when we sit with the land, we get signs. It's talking with us. Once Bunjil was happy with his work, he then transformed into the Wedgetail Eagle. Soared really high. Looking down over his masterpiece. Now happy with his work, he flew up into the stars. 
and sat down by his fire. This fire is what we call Jupiter today. Pundal watches down over us at night from his place in the stars and in the day through the eyes of the wedge-tailed eagle. So this is a story of how Dara country was created, Bundil's country. A story, there's a whole lot more to it. And now the purpose, Wartaka. Why we are here? I'm here because I want to share story so we can know country. Some stories are maybe only represented one view. This is another view. The more views we hear, the better understanding we have of country. The purpose is when we know country better, then we may be able to interact with it better, connect with it more. So, while I'm wearing my country today, and I'm sitting on it, I'd like to bring this part to a close and get to the Wukjara, the food offering that I can offer you today. While there is abundance in my story, there's not so much abundance on Jara country these days. I would love to offer you the baramul meat, the wirano, the cod, the mernong. But today, what I can offer you is kangaroo from the supermarket and uh, some wattle seed with majority of white flour. Because this is the reality. And although my ability to welcome you in the way in which I would love to has been compromised, it's still heartfelt. And so this will be the first food offering in this journey of Jakichla. Thank you, Beck, for the beginning of a wonderful welcome to country. So that's it for the first episode about I hope you got a sense of how the day felt, especially in that last bit with Rebecca sharing the creation story of Jara Country. Next time, I'll be sharing more highlights of the performance, more thoughts and reflections from the creators, and also some thoughts from guests and participants right at the end. In today's episode, you heard from Jody Newcomb, Sam Thomas, Will Tate, Rebecca Phillips, Charlie Irons, and Anna Knight. There are links to many of the things discussed in the show notes on the podcast and at saltgrasspodcast.com. For those of you listening on Main FM or 3MDR, please note that you can listen to all episodes of Saltgrass on your preferred podcasting app. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Please subscribe to our email list to get reminders and updates about the show. Again, you can do that by going to saltgrasspodcast.com. This program was made possible with support from Main FM and the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Find out more at cbf.org.au. My name is Alison Hanley. Come back again next week for the second half of this show. And thanks for listening today. Salt, salt, salt of the earth. Salt, salt, salt. Grassroots, salt of the earth people. Grassroots change. Salt grass. Listen to all episodes of Salt Grass on your podcast app or at saltgrasspodcast.com.